Some of you may feel like that's needed in your home, need an intervention. Some of your moms are like, I wish I had arms like that. Some of you are like thinking about the dad. I'm like that. Would you engage, Bob? I need your help. Today you come and maybe that was last night's supper. Maybe that was on the way to church today because sometimes that happens. Shut up. You stop doing this. Quit hitting each other. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to church. <laughs> Let's worship God now. We've all been there, done that before, haven't we? Every single one of us have been down that road. What's family life been like for you lately? How's it been? Has it been stressful? Typical American family today is stressed out to the very nth degree, maybe struggling because of one income or income is down. It's not as much as it used to be. Some, it's, I'm struggling because I'm in a single parent home. I'm trying to do it all by myself. How do I possibly take care of all the challenges? For some of it, it's because we have his, hers, mine, ours, and you have a blended family. You're trying to figure out how do we make all of that happen. For some, it's just daily life struggles. For others, it's finances. They're just difficult. Maybe it's temptations. But many today are struggling in their family to find joy to find peace, to find contentment. And so today we begin this new series called Bringing Life to Your Home. And when I use the word life, what I mean is to bring some joy into your home, to bring some contentment into your home, to bring some purpose into your home, some direction. Now, I, I do warn you, it does not mean bring lack of trials. Because we will have trials, and Jesus told us that. Maybe the trials will be a little bit less. Or maybe as the trials come, as we learn, we go, okay, we know how to manage them and deal with them a little bit better. Now, maybe some of you are sitting here going, oh, you're starting a family series, and I'm single. I, I don't know if I'm ever getting married. I don't know if I'm ever having kids. My home's pretty, pretty calm because it's just me, myself, and I. I got to tell you, this is the time to go through a sermon series. Before you enter into the marriage, before you enter into having children, then go through it and say, okay, I'm going to learn some tools so when that does come, maybe you'll go, I remember something about that, and you can kind of tag into some information. For other of you in this room, some of you are going, you know, I'm past this stage of life. My kids are gone. They're married, have their own families. Thank you, Jesus. This you can still glean out of because a lot of you in this room may have a, a grandchild that you can share some wisdom with. Maybe some stuff you glean out of this sermon series, you come alongside your own kids. Maybe you'll be able to help a neighbor who you see them walking through the struggles of life. You're like, you know what? I can put my arm around them. I can care about that young family and maybe give them some wisdom. So what I'm going to share over the next few weeks, it does address to all of us. It, it helps all of us. And for those who are young people, teenagers, this is the perfect time to be hearing about what a basis of a family should be with. And what a family should look like and how a, how a family should interact in the guidance of God's hands. And so we're going to jump into this for a few weeks. We just finished the book of Colossians. We just finished up with that here back before Easter, the Sunday before Easter. But there was one section of Scripture that I jumped over, if you remember correctly. And I told you about that. I said, I'm going to skip that because I know some of you like to walk verse by verse. And then when I skip something, you're like, preacher, what are you doing? You don't want to preach that topic. I wanted to deal with it. But I just thought it would take us a little bit longer than just going through it in one Sunday. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 to kind of recapture the little bit of section of Scripture that I skipped, but also lays the foundation of where we're going today in the next few weeks. 
Colossians chapter 3, Paul, remember, is writing this letter to the church, and he's encouraged them, here's how you live in Christ. And remember what your commitment to is in Christ. And in chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, that's when you're supposed to say amen. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And ladies, a big amen, right? Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. I thought it would be a little louder than that. Come on, parents. You're not with me, are you? Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged, children. They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, there you go, Kayla. Thank you. We got one. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You look at that passage of Scripture and it's dealing completely with the family unit. You look at it, he addresses wives and says, wives, you need to submit. He addresses husbands, husbands, you need to love. Fathers, don't embitter. In other words, don't make your children's lives difficult and hard. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Then he says, all of us work for the Lord. We could take that passage of Scripture... And we could deal with that just today, and I could give you a few tidbits, and we could say, okay, we did that. But when I was going through Colossians, I said it needs more time than that, and that's why I said let's break this out to a four-week study for us. But here's the thing is when you look at this, there's a lot there, but as Paul has said, here's how you live in Christ, and our goal as a church this year has been to look at everything through the scope of Jesus' eyes, and our focus has been this year to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, we want to look at what Jesus wants for our life and our living, and so Paul receives these instructions from God the Father, and he knows that this is instruction that Jesus would share, and I think he was probably familiar with the attitudes that Jesus had taught. And so I want us to use this kind of as a springboard, and I want us to jump into Matthew chapter 5 and look at the perspective of how to develop a family, how to bring life to a home through the eyes of Jesus' teaching and the Beatitudes, because the Beatitudes apply to so many areas of life that I believe we can apply it directly to the family, and we will learn then how to bring life to the home by looking at a a few key Beatitudes. Now, before I get into this, let me just give you a disclaimer. I do not preach today or this series as one who has it all figured out and the Boltons have this perfect family. Some of you are like, we know that, we've been around you. But sometimes people think, well, the preacher's got it all figured out. i got to tell you, I am a journeying parent with you. I am walking through this journey together. I have a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a soon-to-be 15-year-old daughter. And sometimes the Bolton home is crazy. Trust me, when things get crazy in our home and things start to get loud, Brianna does not break out in a song saying, all right, let's sing, everybody. And I don't call us together and say, okay, now let's everyone sit down, let's pray, let's calm down. Usually we get a little loud, things get a little interesting sometimes. Sometimes you stop and go, why did I say it that way? I didn't mean to say it that way. Why did I lose my temper? Why did I get grumpy? All kinds of challenges, just like you walk through every single day. I wish I, wish I had it figured out. None of us do, do we? 
None of us completely understand it. We are on a journey together. We are not perfect, but we are being perfected by the power of God. And together, we can be more perfected by the power of God of how to do this thing they call family, how to, how to have life in the family. And here's what I want us to grasp today. It comes from Matthew 5, 6, when Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, which means to be complete. Let me ask you this morning to be really honest with yourselves. What have you been hungering and thirsting over lately? In other words, what have you been pursuing lately? What's been the the priority of life in your home? I mean, just get real honest right now between you and God and say, let's look over, say, the last seven days, just the last week. If you consider the last week of your life and you were to look and say, what were we pursuing? What would rise to the top? Well, this week we've been pursuing maybe the athletic life, the sports life that overtakes our world today. And we see ourselves doing that every single day. No, we were pursuing finances as, as my husband or my wife or mom or dad. They're trying to, trying to make more money, trying to figure all that out, trying to climb the corporate ladder. No, we were pursuing uh, grades in the home that, that we got to make sure that our kids are getting all the right kind of grades. They got to get the A so they get the good scholarships. What was the priority of life in your home this week? For some, the priority sometimes is just relaxation. We work really hard throughout the week looking forward to the weekend so we can relax and chill. And so we put in all these efforts into working crazy hard throughout the week. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? I mean, be real honest. If you're not sure, today make that dinner, dinner conversation. Just ask your children. Allow them to tell you the truth. They'll tell you what they observe in the home. So what do we do when... We know we're not hungry and thirsting for God. If you start thinking, you know what, I could hunger and thirst a little bit more here. Or no, our family's kind of off path. We're not really hungry and thirsting. What do you do? A change has to be made. I mean, what do you do if you're filling yourself with junk food? If you're eating milkshakes and, and banana splits and, and hamburgers and french fries and pizza and all this junk and you're feeling bloated and you're like, man, I put on 10 pounds. My belt doesn't tighten up anymore. My shirt, the buttons are getting awful tight. And, and, and who dried this piece of clothing in the dryer because it's too tight? What do you do? You know you got to make change. You have to stop and have a, a heart-to-heart with yourself and go, something has to adjust in my life and i got to cut back on all the stuff that's not healthy and I need to start eating the chicken and the fish and the veggies and the fruits so I can drop a few pounds. And then what happens typically is what you pursue is what your appetite grows towards. So if you pursue junk food, have you ever noticed how once you start getting a junk food habit, how much that, that, that McDonald's just kind of makes your car drive up to the drive-up window? You ever notice that? Or, or how when you're pursuing a donut, how all of a sudden you find yourself having a donut in your hand, even though you went, I'm not having a donut, I'm not having a donut, I'm not having a donut, and all of a sudden you're eating a donut. But then once you start eating more healthy, you start to pursue healthiness and start living healthy. It's amazing how you start to desire and go, man, that chicken breast sounds really good. That steak sounds really good. All those veggies sound really good because the more you eat the healthy stuff, the more you pursue it. Same thing happens in our spiritual life. When we pursue the junk of this world, the more you pursue that junk, the more you you hunger and you thirst after the junk. But the more you pursue God, the more you'll have a hunger and a thirst after God, and the more the stuff of this world will taste terrible. You ever been on a diet, and you started eating really healthy, and you feel really good for like three, four, five months, and then you go, okay, I'm going to have a banana split, I'm going to have a hamburger, and you go, man, you eat it, and you're like, that tastes terrible. 
Ever been through that experience? You're like, some of you are like, no, I haven't been there yet. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. <laughs> what happens is when you pursue junk, you go after junk. When you pursue good, you'll go after the good. So you have to decide to make a change. And maybe as we go through this journey together over the next few weeks, just looking at how to bring life to a home, maybe God's going to just stir inside of you and go, it's time to make a change. It's time to start pursuing God. So let me warn you. Let me tell you what doesn't work. What doesn't work is legalistic Christianity and lukewarm Christianity. Brought that up in first service, and a guy right after first service was talking to me. He said, man, I was raised in this kind of home. He said, I hated that legalistic stuff. It was interesting because as we were talking before church, there was another gentleman who even brought up, didn't even know what I was preaching on. He said, I was, I was raised in a very legalistic Catholic home. He says, and we had all these rules, had to dress a certain way. And he said, once I got to my teenage years, I told my mom, I'm done with church. And I fought her and finally I just gave up on it. He said, I went all my teenage years into my college years into my military years, never had anything to do with God because I couldn't stand all the rules of this Christian stuff. That was a conversation this morning. I didn't plan that. Legalistic Christianity has this list of do's and a list of don'ts. If you're a Christian, you must do this and you don't do that. If you're a Christian, you must go here, go there. Don't go here, don't go there. You must not behave in certain things. A bunch of should and shouldn'ts. Rules, though, without a relationship lead to rebellion. Did you hear that? You need to write that one down, parents. Rules without a relationship leads to rebellion, and that happens in your walk with God, and it happens as a parent. If you as a parent are just going to be legalistic, have all these kinds of rules and not develop a relationship, your kids will rebel. But if you give rules with a relationship, typically respect comes. And that's what happens with God. When we get to know God and develop a relationship with Him, and then He gives us some guidance or some rules or some purpose for living, instead of rebelling, we go, okay, God has my best interest in mind, and so I need to heed what He says, and then you're willing to go where He wants to go. But if God is just this big old rule keeper, what do we do? Most of us go, I'm not keeping the rules. Why do we go down the road at 65 when it says 55? Because we don't have a relationship at all with whoever sets those rules and we're going to do what I want to do. But when you have a relationship, things start to change. See, in your home, is it more about a relationship with Jesus or more about following a whole list of rules? Kids, we're Christians, and if we're Christians, then we should not do this and this and this. And we better make sure we're doing this and this and this. And depending on what kind of home you're raised in or where you're at in your walk, many times that's how people live out their Christian walk. Second thing not to do is lukewarmness. It's called cultural Christianity. I believe in God... But my belief in God does not affect my actions. I believe in God, but I still do whatever I want to do. I will go wherever I want to go. I will say whatever I want to say. I'll spend my money however I want to spend my money. I'll participate wherever I want to participate. I'll interact with whoever I want to. And if I want to do something, I'll do it. Yes, I believe in God, but when it comes to His Bible, me obeying it, ah, yeah, that's, that's for other people. That's for those real serious Christians. That's for those freaks. That's for those people who are just crazy about their walk with God. But I believe in God. But most people will look at us and see no action of that. Jesus actually warns against lukewarmness in Revelation chapter 3 when he says, you need to either be hot or cold, not lukewarm. Because the way you say, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Who here likes to have lukewarm food? I mean, I don't know about you, but I put like a, a rewarming a piece of lasagna in a microwave. If it needs a minute, I'm putting it in for three. Because I want it burning hot through the middle. I don't care if it singes the stuff to the plate. I do not want to eat a lasagna, have warm bite or a hot bite, a warm bite, and then a cold bite. It's just disgusting to me. 
And I'd rather would not want to eat any more of it. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. You're the same way. Just heat it up just a, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's what God calls us to. Jesus is saying, listen, you hunger and thirst for righteousness so much that you're not going to live a lukewarm lifestyle. You have a, a name for God and where you speak His name, but there's really no passion, so to speak. There's, no, there's nothing inside of you that says, I'm excited, I'm on passion, I'm on fire for my relationship with God. No. The question to ask ourselves is, how do I know if I'm being lukewarm? That's a difficult one to answer. That's really hard. I mean, I can give you some indicators, for, for me at least, if you don't pray together at all as a family. You don't pray at meal times. Situations come up. You don't spend any time praying. You don't direct your family toward praying. If prayer is not, not a discussion in your family, it doesn't have to be, hey, we sit down and we have prayer every single day at this time, every single night, or every single morning we start with prayer and devotion. But is there a, there's an ongoing relationship when, when you know that you need to call upon the name of God, that prayer is a priority in your life? Or, or what about sharing Scripture? Do, do you ever have times in your life when, when your kids ever come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I saw this verse in the Bible. Can we talk about it? Or do you ever go to your kids and say, man, I was reading in the Scripture, and this Scripture came up. I want to tell you about it. It was so important. It was so cool what it did and how it spoke to me, and i got to share it with you. Or do you ever notice yourself to sharing Scripture with other people throughout the day that it's part of your life that you've told somebody else about it? What about just telling God stories? Do you ever find in your home that there's opportunities and you're like, man, i got to tell God's story. I was gone all day or today at lunch this happened and you go home and you're telling your family, i got to tell you what God did. i got a chance to share my faith today at the workplace and here's how it is. Or is there ever a time when you come home and you're like, oh my goodness, this was so cool. This person at work was struggling or I saw this person at the school who was difficult. And we got a chance to pray together and you're just sharing God's stories. Are, are those things ever happening and talking in your home? If, if not, maybe lukewarmness has crept in. Here's one for me that I think is true for probably most of us. Do you uh, have keen eyes and ears to protect your family of things that are not of God? And what I mean by that is when you turn a television on and hear God's name used in 50 times in the first minute, do you ever say, family, I think it's time to turn a channel. This is probably not one we should be watching because this show's not honoring God. Or you ever been to a movie and you go to the movie and yes, you've paid a ton of money to get all that popcorn and that drink and you've probably dropped a hundred bucks so quickly and you sit down and within the first five minutes, the language is so flowery with, with F-bombs and GDs and everything else that you're thinking, I cannot have my family sit before this. I don't care how much money I spent. Kids, let's take our popcorn and our drink and let's just go because you're going to protect your family. When it comes to social media world and the internet and the phones, are, are you protective where you go, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to put the right kind of um, protection software on my computer, protection software on my phones, and I'm going to be a parent who monitors what's going on and understand the conversation and things are taking place because I want to make sure that their lives are honoring God, and so I'm going to guide them and direct them in that type of path. See, if you're lukewarm, you ah, I don't care, I'm just not going to mess with it, I'm tired, I, don't, I can't manage all that kind of stuff lukewarm Christianity. So it doesn't work to be illegalistic or lukewarm, but let me tell you what I think does work. Here's what works. Is to have a mindset that we're not just a Christian family, that we're going to have a Christ-centered home. We're not just a Christian family. We're going to have a Christ-centered home. See, 80% of Americans across the United States, if you ask them, would probably tell you they're a Christian. If you walked up and down the streets here and, and like you say, do you believe in God? Are you a Christian? You probably get seven or eight out of ten who say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But 
are you a Christian to the point that it's affecting the way you live your life? We, we believe in God, at least verbally, but, but you might not be able to tell by your daily behavior. See, if you're just a Christian where, yeah, we go to church here or there. Yeah, we, just, we attend a service every now and then, but we don't let that affect our lives every single day. Then you're living maybe just as a Christian family, but a Christ-centered home is a, is a home of prayer. It's a home where God is talked about. It's a home where you're willing to ask the question, what we're doing, is it honoring God? Is our behavior honoring God? Is our choices honoring God? Our children now, <clears throat> that they're teenagers, we're experiencing the idea where they want to take off and go by themselves. And it's been going on now for some time. And as moms and dads, you start thinking, oh my goodness, what are they going to do? Oh my goodness, are they going to make good choices? And you have two choices as parents. As your child is walking out the door, you could tell them, now listen, you're going out with so-and-so. I don't want you doing this and this and this and this and this. And give them a list of all the things are wrong so you revert back to the rules. Or you could just look at them and say, I want to make sure that you know one thing. Just ask the question as you go about with your friends, my choices, are they going to honor God? Start teaching your children in their teenage years ask the question, what I'm doing, does it honor God? We go to a movie, does it honor God? I'm with this boy or I'm with this girl. Our behavior, is it honoring God? What we're watching, is it honoring God? Are we going to honor God? And start teaching your children that. And then when your children come home and you discover that maybe they've done something to not honor God, it's not a time to yell and scream. Not a time to go into freak out mode. It's time to restore and talk to them about what it means to honor God with their lives. Parents, I'm going to give you some advice that was given to me about 10 years ago that has helped me tremendously. We used to have a guy in our church, his name was Jim Aquisto. Some of you probably remember him. He was one of our first elders. I actually called him a week ago because we were talking about this in our small group. And he said, Brian, are you prepared? I said, prepared for what? He said, are you prepared for the day when your wife fails you or when your children fails you? I said, what do you mean? He said, if your wife comes home and says, I did this or I did that, or your children comes home and they say, I did this or I did that, and it's something that, that maybe blows up your family. Your daughter comes home and says, I'm pregnant, Dad. Your son comes home and says, I got this girl pregnant. Your son comes home and says, Dad, I was out drinking last night. Your wife comes home and says, I've, I've cheated on you. He said, are you prepared for that? I said, no. I, what do you mean prepared for that? He says, prepare now before it happens. I said, we me prepare before it happens. He says, here's how you prepare. He says, get ready to forgive and restore. He said, our job as Christians is to forgive and to restore. To restore people back to where they're supposed to be at in Christ. And so when your child comes to you and says, I made this choice. If you're prepared ahead of time, then you don't go into freak out mode. You go into taking some deep breaths. You go into, okay, now we're going to work through this. You go into, let's pray about it. You process through that. And you walk through with your child or your wife or whoever it is. You walk through that journey together teaching them, okay, God forgives you. I forgive you. There are now consequences we're going to deal with, whatever the consequences are. But I'm still going to love you and this. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to help restore you back to where you're supposed to be in God because God is a God of reconciliation. Is that not true? And that's why Jesus died on the cross. And that's what we're supposed to do as parents. We help our children to be restored back to God. So are we a Christ-centered home or just a Christian family? Here's how David said it in Psalm 63. He said, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I mean, David just cried out and said, I am seeking God. I am thirsting for God. I am longing for God. You could rewrite that verse a little bit, and I did. 
to put it towards the family. You, God, are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole family longs for you, God. What are you, what are you longing for? See, it makes sense to say, earnestly, we seek you, God. Earnestly, God, we pursue you. God, we're going after you because we know he is the creator and the sustainer of life. He is the one who gave us Jesus so that Jesus would die on the cross and restore us back to him. So it makes sense to earnestly seek him. It does not make sense. To say, Lord, I am earnestly seeking that my child wins an underwater dancing competition and goes on to the state. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to say, I cannot wait for my nine-year-old to live his life every single day playing soccer so that he can win the nine and under championship. That's what we're seeking. It doesn't make sense, but that's what we do. We chase after all the stuff of this world. David says, chase after God hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, I, I want to seek you. I want to thirst for you. Three ways to create hunger for God in your home. One, involve God in your daily conversations. When, when is God spoken of in your home? Is it just, oh God, when maybe his name is used in vain? Is it when his name is spoken because you've done something bad, GD? Is his name spoken in a, in a positive light when you talk about God? Do you speak the name of God just, oh, Johnny, why'd you do that? God's going to get you. Where now they're going to be afraid of God and terrified of God? Or is God involved in your conversations? What I mean by that is when you're driving down the road and you're taking your child to school and it's a beautiful sunshine, do you say, oh my goodness, that sunshine or the, or the sunrise is so awesome? Or do you say, man, look at that sunrise that God has given us this morning. Isn't it beautiful that He's blessed us with that? Or when you're taking pictures, as it's happened several times over the last month or so, when we have a beautiful rainbow or a double rainbow, and you look at the rainbow and you take a picture and you post it to your social media accounts and you're showing your kids that, are you posting it saying, look at the promise that God has given us that he'll never flood this earth and destroy it by sin, destroy our sin by a flood again? Or is it just, look at that beautiful rainbow. Isn't that kind of cool? Or when God blesses your family and you come home and you have a raise, or your child comes home and they've studied hard for a test and they succeeded and passed the test. Is it, oh, wow, look at, I got a raise. Oh, wow, look at, I got an A in a test. Or is it, oh, wow, look at, God has blessed me with a raise. Oh, wow, look at, I studied hard and God has blessed me to help me pass this test. Just changing the conversation so that daily the discussion involves God. Or maybe it is when the challenges are coming. And you have to sit down with your family and you say, family, we've got a challenge before us. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? See, sometimes what we do is we live in that mindset of just kind of just being a, a Christian family. We have a challenge that comes and we say, well, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I think this. I think this. Well, what are the pros? What are the cons? What does your mom or dad say? What does your friend say? And we get all this advice. When's the last time you said, you know what? Let's just stop and ask God in this conversation. God, our family's walking through this challenge. What are we supposed to do? Now, it's still good probably look at the pros and cons and talk to some other people, but to ask God, God, what do I do in this situation? So how do we create a hunger? Involve God in your daily conversation. Two, make church a non-negotiable. I know, preacher, now that sounds like you're 
creating a new rule for me. When you just said don't do rules, no, I'm not telling you to create a rule. I am telling you to lift up the priority that you would come and honor the creator and the sustainer of life and that you would make it a priority that your family says, we're not going to miss that opportunity. We live in a world right now that has crept in, has taken away what used to be kind of sacred days. They're, they're long gone. Used to have Wednesday night was available for Wednesday night church. Used to have Sunday all day long. There was nothing but church and family and having a meal together. They're gone. They no longer exist. But we the church can still honor God because Hebrews tells us do not neglect the gathering together with other believers. But what happens in our culture today? What happens in our culture today is, oh, we have a tournament, we're gone. Oh, you have a commitment because you're in this league? We're gone. Oh, we're going to just skip here, skip there. Oh, we're going to sleep in. Oh, we don't feel like it. And then honoring God by making church non-negotiable gets pushed away to, its, to the side. i, I got to tell you, children observe more than what they hear. They observe more than what they hear. And inevitably, I've had conversations with parents who say, I don't understand why my kid's not in church and they're 20 years old or 22, 24. And you start talking about, okay, well, what was the pattern of life as you're growing up? Well, we were in church some. You know, we hit it here and hit it there. We were maybe sure there for Easter. We were there around Christmas time. And then, you know, we were somewhat regular, but, you know, it was kind of hit and miss. Well, what the kid sees modeled, they will then do at that level or less as they get a little bit older. And so... God calls us to make church a non-negotiable. Does that mean I can't be out of town in tournament? No. You want to be out of town in tournament, then be out of town at the tournament, but make it a priority. Say, when we go to Kansas City or we go to Oklahoma or we go to Louisville, we're going to find a priority to still find time to go worship and honor God. And trust me, in our culture today, between what's on the internet and what's on all the different services that are offered at churches and all the churches around our country, the only reason why we don't is because of our own laziness. It's the only reason why we don't. And so, yeah, I understand, because my kids are involved in the sports and the activities and are gone. You're going on vacation? Do you make it a priority? Say, I'm going to be in worship? I love it when some of you go on vacation and say, man, we went to this little church. We checked this out. We were at this church. Some of you come back and bring bulletins. Hey, there's what this church is doing. I love it. To hear that you're making that a priority in your life to honor God and be in worship. Thirdly, show how seeking and serving God is fun. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. Let me just ask you, if you're serving in God's kingdom, do you complain and grumble about it? Oh man, i got to be to church early today because I'm on that worship team. Oh man, I'm in the nursery today. i got to change a stinky diaper. Or are you excited about it? Man, I can't wait to get up tomorrow. I'll get a chance to help lead the congregation in worship. I mean, I can't wait to be go serve in the nursery, serve with the kids, because they bring so much joy to me. And when you speak positively of that, and you start bringing your kids alongside, they'll want to do the same thing. But you do got to stop and even ask yourself, have I found my place to serve? Have I found my place to plug in? I love it. Last Saturday, we had our, our big Easter party. And I was just walking around and kind of looking. It was just really cool to see some of you who were serving kind of as a family. You go and there's mom and dad at one station. There's teenagers at another station. And seeing the whole family that was participating at some level. And even sometimes around here where it's like you see mom and dad and there's their kids. Why? Because kids observe more than they hear. And so when they see mom and dad serving, mom and dad loving, mom and dad caring, mom and dad being involved in ministry, and then not going home and complaining and grumbling about it, but just saying, man, I had so much fun today. Man, I'm, I'm tired. 
I'm worn out, put in extra effort, but they will see that. Then they'll want to do the exact same thing. When Lane started as our family pastor over a year ago, he instituted what he calls one, one, and one for everyone. And he wants to encourage the teenagers to either to, to be in worship and then either serve or to be in Bible study. Because he knows the value of serving. And so on a Sunday, you're starting to see teenagers who they're involved in different areas around the church. Why? Because we want to see the kids involved in service. We want to see the kids also involved in Bible study and see them in worship. And so we as parents need to set that, that example for them. Let me close with a warning. Turn your Bibles back to Colossians chapter 3. Paul actually wrote these words, and Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Here's a warning. Creating a family that brings life to your family, it takes work. I mean, that's what Paul was saying right there. Paul's saying, listen, this family thing is not easy, but you've got to work at it. And as you work at it, don't work to say, okay, I'm going to do this to make my, my wife happy. Or I'm going to do this to make my husband happy. Or kids, I'm going to do this to make my mom and dad happy. You should work to say, you know what, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to work because I'm working for the Lord. I'm going to serve in my family. I'm going to love in my family. I'm going to care in my family. I, I'm going to honor mom and dad in my family. I'm going to love my wife in my family. I'm going to love or submit to my husband in my family. I'm going to do that because I want to work and serve the Lord. And we make the mindset that, I, that it is work, but we're working to honor God. It's amazing how families get good. It's amazing how families will start to grow. It's amazing how, how when we start pursuing God and hungry and thirsting for righteousness and make that our work, it's amazing how family problems can actually be taken care of and somehow just kind of just start to disappear because why? We're all pursuing God. Here's what Joshua said. He said, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He said, choose. Choose. Make, make a choice this day whom you will serve. And that's a choice we need to make each and every day. Today am I going to serve my boss? I'm going to serve God. Today am I going to serve school? Am I going to serve God? Today am I going to serve grades? I'm going to serve sports? I'm going to serve activity? I'm going to serve busyness? Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, Joshua said, we will, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice. It's a choice that we will choose to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Will you choose? Will you choose to put Christ at the center of your life? That He's the center of your family. He's the center of everything you do. Heavenly Father, we honor you today, and Lord, we just ask for your help. Family life, Lord, can be greatly challenging. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to overcome either, either any legalistic challenges or lukewarmness that might be in us. Lord, I pray that you help us to not live our lives just as a Christian family, but as a Christ-centered home, where every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're, we're working with you and our family. And we're working towards honoring you in all that we do. Lord, show us how to involve you in our conversations. And Lord, help us to, to lift up the priority of our weekly worship. And Lord, by all means, help us to serve and seek you with fun, with joy. God, this, this, uh, this life is crazy. And Father, we need the family unit to be strengthened. And it can only be strengthened by people who are pursuing you. And so Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for your righteousness.
Father, I say thank you for choosing us. Thank you for choosing us and giving us your son, Jesus. We're now going to honor him in this time of communion. It's in his name we pray. Amen.